Now, there's a parable told about some men who live in a village. And of these men, there's six men who are blind. And on this day, news has spread in this village that an elephant is making its way into uh, the village. And these six men know that they're not going to be able to see this elephant, but they want to experience it. And so they said to the other people of the village, hey, can we at least go and can we at least surround this elephant to, to get an idea of what the elephant is like? And so these six blind men, they, they approach the elephant. And one proclaimed confidently, this elephant is a pillar because he had encountered the elephant's leg. One said this elephant is a rope because he had grabbed on to the elephant's tail. One said he's a large branch because he had encountered the trunk. One said he's a wall because he'd come to the side of an elephant. One said he's a large hand fan because he had grabbed on to the ear. One said he's a solid pipe because he grabbed onto the tusk. See, these six men, they surrounded this elephant, and they all got different aspects of what this elephant was, but they couldn't quite comprehend what the whole thing is. And I think for many of us in this room, that's kind of the way love is. That we've encountered love from all different sides and all different angles, but we can't fully define it. We've seen it from the positive side, we've seen it from the negative side, but we can't fully understand it. In fact, the Bible says that God is love, so I'm not convinced we can fully comprehend it, but I am convinced that today and last week, we can begin to take steps towards understanding what is love. And so that's the question we're going to ask today. What is love? Now, I know that there's some music buffs in here. You hear those three words together, and you immediately think of a song. Like, there's a song that begins to play in your mind the moment you hear this, this phrase, what is love? And it sounds a little bit like this. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. No more. What is love? Now, here's the deal. I had a bet in my head as to how many people were going to do the head nod thing. I lost in this room, hopefully in the satellite room in Otis. I hope that hopefully you guys all got in on that. I assumed, and again, it was cold today, so maybe you walked in here today and you're just like, you know what? No, I can't do that because my brain's still not fully thought out. Again, I walked in the building at 6.30. You did not, and so maybe your brain's not fully there yet to where you could do the head nod thing. Now, here's the thing. This is free, okay? This is free. There's a generation above me who has no idea what I'm talking about right now. There's also a generation below me who has no idea what I'm talking about right now. But my generation, you heard that song, and immediately you went, Night at the Roxbury, yes. And moreover, you took it another step, and you begin asking yourself this question, does that movie still hold up today? Yes, it does. <laughs> That was free, okay? If you're a teenager and you want to know what makes me laugh, Night at the Roxbury, go get it. It's, it's a great movie. That was free, okay? So in case you're wondering, like, put that in your notes. Yes, it still holds up. Okay, anyway, moving on. We're going to answer the question today, what is love? And my job today is really simple. My job is simple enough to just facilitate a conversation between you and the Holy Spirit today. That's my job. My job is not to coerce you into anything. My job is not to twist your arm in anything. My job is not even to say, hey, that person who should be sitting next to you should actually hear this instead. No, my job is real simple. My job is simply to have you begin a conversation, begin a dialogue with the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the crazy part. 
Because there's some people in this room, and maybe you're in the satellite room as well, and as you hear this, you say, well, Ryan, I'm not a follower of Jesus, and so I don't want to have a conversation with the Holy Spirit. Let me say this. I am so, so, so glad you chose to be here today. What we're going to talk about today is foundational enough in all relationships, not even in spouse relationships, but also in friendships, in working relationships, in uh, sibling relationships, in kid relationships, in every relationship we have. It's so foundational that even if you're not a follower of Jesus, even if that's not something you even want to have a part of, because you walked into this place today and you find out we're talking about dating, love, and sex, and you're like, I want to go to the church that talks about that. And so you're here today. I'm glad that you're here. Hear me say this. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, what we're going to talk about today is so, so, so foundational in every relationship that we have. See, because we have a decision to make. As we jump into all these relationships that we find ourselves in, we have a decision that we make on a daily basis. And we're not even aware that we're making this decision. But everybody who's in love, and I can even take it a step further, everybody who's in a relationship makes this decision every single day. And what happens is, is when we start to fall in love, it happens by habit. And then as we continue in love, oftentimes that habit goes away. But what I want to talk about today comes from a passage of scripture that is called the love chapter in the Bible. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church in Corinth. And like I said, chapter 13 is the love chapter. And if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to put a Bible in your hand. There's some right back there, right behind the sound booth as well. If you're in the overflow room or satellite room, there's some back by communion. Feel free to go back and grab one of those as well. But we want to put a Bible in your hand so you can actually spend some time in this scripture with us. It's one thing to read the giant Bible on the screen behind me. It's another thing to actually allow it to to work in your hands. But, But here's the deal. As we read through this today, There's a number of you uh, that had this said at your wedding. Maybe you weren't even a follower of Jesus at the time, but this was actually read at your wedding. And I want to read a part of it, and then we're going to camp out in one verse, because this one verse, I believe, is so foundational to every relationship that we find ourselves in. And let me say this, uh, about this one verse that we're going to talk about later, on the surface, I I need you to hear this right up front, on the surface, it's going to look like bad advice. Okay, I just, you need to know that. Because you're going to go, that's unrealistic, that's bad advice. I don't know if I really believe that. On the surface, it's going to look like that. But as we unpack it more and more, hopefully you'll realize what Paul is saying love truly is. And so jump into it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4-7. through 7. Let's read it together. It says, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices in whatever, whenever the truth wins out. Verse 7, this is where we're going to camp later. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. So Paul gives us 15 things. And in these 15 things, what he's really doing is he's circling this idea of what love truly is. And there's some of you going, well, if we're going to go through all 15 of these, we're going to be here quite a while today. We're not going to go through all 15. We're going to fly through a few of them. Let's talk about patience for a second. Let's talk about patience. He says, love is patient. And all of us understand patience, right? I mean, for for my household, when I think of patience, I think of trying to load up my three kids into the minivan to go anywhere for any length of time, right? It takes patience for me to do that. 
For others of you, you, you maybe it's something different for you, uh, and you don't need to elbow anybody beside you today, but maybe for you, there's always someone in your family that just takes forever to get ready to go, right? right? And if it's, not, if it's not this person, it's probably you, all right? So there's that. Here's what patience really means, though. Patience really means this. It means to bear an offense. It means to bear an offense. It means that when someone has wronged you, to stay with it. I don't know about you, but I hear that, and like that'll preach in its own. When someone has offended you, when someone has done something to you, it means to stay patient in that relationship. It says love is patient and kind. We think nice, right? Love is nice. That's so nice. No, no, no. Kind means to lend strength. That you can provide something that is useful for the task. He goes on. It says love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. We understand jealousy, right? See, in my household, I've got three kids. Like I said, I've got a, five, I've got a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and a one-year-old. And my wife is a stay-at-home mom, and, and God bless the stay-at-home moms, right? Like, they do a phenomenal, phenomenal job. And so uh, she's, you know, got the three kids at home most days when they're not at school. And throughout the day, I'll receive texts from her. You know, the text will say something like, hey, the two olders have been arguing all day long, and the one-year-old is just like you, by the way. Like, there's, there's no doubt she is yours because she gets into everything. She back talks. She's crazy. She's semi-bald. Like, all of the things, right? <laughs> all of the things. And so I receive all these texts. And then the, the crazy part is, is uh, I'll, I'll be at work. And sometimes my work allows me to go into coffee shops and have meetings with people in coffee shops. And so I'll go into a coffee shop, whether it be Wake Up Call or Starbucks, and I'll go and I'll sit there. And you know what happens when you sit in a coffee shop for longer than, I don't know, 22 seconds. You begin to smell like said coffee shop, don't you? Like you just reek of coffee bean. And so the crazy part is, is I'll receive all these texts of, my day is absolutely terrible. These kids are just like you. Why can't you come home and please take care of the kids? Because I'm had it up to, up to my eyeballs with these kids because they are your DNA. Can you please come home? And then I walk in the house, you know, all happy. I've had caffeine. I walk into the house. I reek of Starbucks, right? You understand jealousy. I mean, after all, I would rather be at home. <laughs> Some of you got that. Others, your brains are still. <laughs> Love is not boastful. We don't go shouting how good we are. It's not like Ron Burgundy, right? Come and see how good I look. We don't do that. Love is not proud. We don't inflate like a balloon. Love is not like that. Love is not rude. Mm, this one hurt me a little bit this week. Love is not rude, meaning love is not conduct unbecoming, meaning the action doesn't fit the circumstance. Let me play this out for you a little bit. Let's just say I'm at either Target or Fred Meyer or Walmart. That's the trifecta of looking at toys with my kids. And let's just say that I'm at one of those places looking at toys with my kids. And you were to see me from across the aisle. And you were to go, oh, hey, that's Ryan. He's one of our pastors. Let's go see what he's up to. And you start walking towards me. And as you start walking towards me and I'm looking at Legos with my daughter, let's just pretend for a second that I look at my daughter and I say, will you just pick one out? That's conduct unbecoming, isn't it? It's pretty rude. You would not like that. That's the action that doesn't fit the circumstance. You're saying, if that's our pastor, if that's one of our pastors, he ought to not act like that. If we say we love someone, we ought to not act like that. These next three got me. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not irritable. Love keeps no record of wrongs. If I can peel back the curtain a little bit. These three this week, 
are part of the reason why I didn't want to preach this week. You know, we can talk about next week and me talking about sex next week. Sometimes I would rather take that than these three right here. Because for whatever reason, and every time I get an opportunity to stand on this stage, it's almost like one of those things where the Holy Spirit's going, hey, you're not very good at that. Why don't you talk about it? Thanks, Holy Spirit. Because these three right here, love is not self-seeking. Love is not irritable. Love keeps no record of wrong. See, in my brain, and my brain works weird, I understand that, but in my brain, I have this file cabinet, and maybe you do too, this file cabinet of just past offenses that I can very easily go to and begin to pull the drawer, and it's not just with my spouse, it's with anyone I come in contact with that I can begin to pull the drawer and go, there's one, and there's one, and there's one, and then the moment that relationship begins to go south, the moment that relationship begins to go sour, it's really easy for me to pull one of those out and begin to go over it and over it and over it. See, in my house, we call that gunny sacking. In my house, what we say is, hey, you, we can argue, we can have a, a, a healthy debate about this, but you, don't, you aren't allowed to bring in all of the past experience. You're not allowed to do that because that's gunny sacking. He says, love's not like that. He goes on and says, love rejoices with the truth. See, and here's the thing. We, we could stop right there and we could end this message and we, many of us would be like, I'm challenged, I'm challenged, I'm challenged. I should do more of that. I should stop doing that. And we, we could walk out of here, great. But then we come to verse 7. And in verse 7 is where we're going to camp out for the remainder of our time. And he takes this little Greek word and he uses it four times and he matches it up with four other words. And if you pull any one of these words out, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. But what Paul is getting at right here is one of the most important relationships or one of the most important decisions we will ever make in any relationship, love relationship, uh, fiance relationship, uh, work relationship, spouse relationship. It does not matter. Every relationship we come in contact with, we make a decision. And I want to explain to you what Paul's getting at and then we'll come back to it. You see, I believe that in every relationship, there is a gap. There's a gap between our expectations and reality. That in every relationship that we have, there's this gap between our expectations. Uh, you know, I expected you to do this, and instead, you did this. You said you were going to be here at 4, it's now 4.30, and you're still not here. You said you, you were going to call that individual. You still haven't called that individual. You said those chores were going to get done. They're still not done. You see, in every relationship, there is a gap between our expectation and reality. See, I do my fair share of marriage counseling, as do many of the pastors around here. And, and a lot of times what will happen is we'll get together and we'll begin to talk shop. We don't get together and say, hey, tell me about this family. No, we don't do that because that's rude. We get together and we say, hey, tell, tell me what's working for you as you kind of counsel people through, as you kind of talk people through. And you know what we find? That, that this right here, this gap between expectations in marriage or expectation in relationship and the gap between that and reality is what causes the most frustration in any relationship. I mean, you, you can talk money and, and I think that also falls on expectation and reality. But, but the thing is, is that this gap right here, what you choose to do with this gap causes so much frustration. When we sit down with couples and I'll ask the spouse, I'll say, hey, why are you so frustrated? Well, I expected him to do this or I expected her to do this and instead they did this. And I'll look back at the other spouse and I'll say, hey, did you know that was an expectation? No. So it's never been clearly communicated. It's never been defined. No. And you wonder why there's so much frustration. Because what you do in this gap between I expected and what happened, between anticipation and reality, what we do with that gap will define our relationships. 
And so we have a choice to make. In this choice, we can either choose to believe the best or assume the worst. We can believe the best when my expectation isn't being met. I can believe the best about that person or I can assume the worst. Believe the best. Man, she's just been really busy. She's been really busy, and I'm sure she'll be here, but, but for whatever reason, she's not here. I'm sure there's a reason for it. Assume the worst. She doesn't pay attention to the watch. She's probably talking to somebody again. And we begin to develop this attitude, don't we? When there's this gap between what we expect and the reality, we begin to develop an attitude. Believe the best. There's a lot going on at work. He's distracted. Assume the worst. He's no good. His daddy wasn't any good either. I guess, I guess what's going to happen is I'm just going to have to do everything around the house. See, the point is, is that in every relationship, there's this gap. And what we choose to put in this gap starts in our mind. It's not necessarily what comes out of our mouth first. It's what we put in our mind. And then eventually it does come out of our mouth. And then it begins to develop out of our behavior. You see, I believe that you can do all of the things Paul talks about leading up to verse 7, but if you don't fill this gap, it's not love. And there are two things that I think determine what you put in this gap. What you see and who you are. Well, I see that my expectation isn't being met. I see that he or she is not here. I see that they didn't follow through. I see, and it is I see and who you are. Who you are. Your experience, your hurt, your pain, your joy, what you saw growing up, what you've experienced in previous relationships. And we bring all of that with us to help fill this gap. All of that impacts which sign we put up in this gap. Now time out for a second. It's because I know that there's a subset of people in this room and in our satellite room today that you see these signs, you say, well, Ryan, that's really cute, but you don't fully understand my situation. You're right. You're right. Ryan, you don't understand that there's been infidelity in our relationship. Okay? And you don't understand that there's been verbal abuse. There's been physical abuse. Let me say this, okay? If that's you, I get it. The signs, they don't necessarily make sense to you today. And that's okay. Let me lean into you. If it's, if it's a spouse relationship and there's been infidelity, if it's a spouse relationship and there's been physical abuse or there's been verbal abuse, let me just lean into you today and say this. You need counseling. You both need counseling or you specifically need counseling. No sign is going to fix that. Okay? It's hard for me to communicate to 2,500 people this weekend and say, blanket statement, believe the best. I get that. I understand that. So, so I, I empathize with you. Time back in. I don't believe that anybody walks into a marriage or anybody walks into a relationship and says, here's my goal for today. I want to be a jerk. Here's my goal for today. I want to be difficult to live with. No, we walk into relationships, hopefully, going, I want to be a blessing. And yet the difference is, is that so many of us, what we want to be a blessing is we let people down. We've talked about that before. That oftentimes what happens is, is I want to be a blessing, I want to be a blessing, I want to be a blessing. And then we let people down. Hey, here's an expectation, but I don't quite meet the expectation. And we give ourselves grace, don't we? We measure ourselves by what I intended to do. Well, I intended to fulfill that expectation, but in reality, I didn't. So will you give me grace? Will you believe the best about me? Please, 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 please. And we expect them to believe the best about us, but 
When the tables are turned and somebody else doesn't meet our expectation, what do we do? We immediately assume the worst. And so today what I want to do is I want to talk about how we close this gap. So in your mind, again, this is for you. This isn't for the person sitting next to you. This isn't for the person who isn't here today. This is for you. Because remember, we talked about it's a dialogue between you and the Holy Spirit today. In your mind, what do you do? When the expectation isn't met, what do you do? Do you assume the worst or do you believe the best? As soon as you get that text, going to be late again, where does your mind go? Hey, can you pick up the kids again because where does your mind go? There's no dinner tonight. Where does your mind go? See, I believe that people who stay in love learn to believe the best in those moments. I believe this is so key to so many of our relationships, not just marriages, but so key to so many of our relationships. Because when we begin to form this cycle of negativity between yourself and the person you're in relationship with, what happens is you both come into the relationship assuming the worst and it feeds on itself and feeds on itself and feeds on itself and sooner or later, guess what? You both get to be right. And some of you love it when your spouse doesn't come through. Some of you love it when that relationship doesn't come through because it means that you're right. And you start looking for it. And then you discover that you're right. And then you have this private little victory party in your head. And you win all these arguments. But I believe that you're losing one of the greatest, greatest relationships that God could give you on this side of eternity. And so Paul goes on. He says, what does love do? What does love do? How does it believe the best? He gives us four things. He says it protects. Love protects the integrity of of the relationship. Love always trusts, meaning it always looks for an explanation. Love always hopes. Hopefully there is an explanation. Hopefully she didn't mean to. Hopefully he didn't mean to. And I'm not going to give up hope until I'm proven otherwise. Love always perseveres, meaning it's always going to look for the good and it's going to continue to look for the good. And so where do you go? Have you and your spouse, are you in that relationship, you and that friend, whatever, have you got into a cycle? Where do you go in this? Do you choose to assume the worst all the time? Do you assume to go negative? See, because every single time that you go negative, no matter the track record, no matter uh, what, what you have to stand on, every single time you go negative, you are contributing to the demise of that relationship. And I know you got a story and I know that you're justified, and I know he's got a history, I know she's got a history, but you become a participant in the demise of your relationship every single time you choose to go negative. Let me lean in and give you a quick piece of counsel. I don't think anybody wakes up in the morning and says, my goal today is to disappoint my spouse. I don't think anybody wakes up that way. But every single time you go negative, here's what you're doing. You're telling your spouse or you're telling that relationship you will never measure up. One of the most powerful things you can do in a relationship, one of the most powerful things is you can fill that gap by believing the best. See, when you choose to believe the best, what you're communicating to them is that you are shortening the gap between my expectation and reality. But when you assume the worst, you know what you're doing? You're just widening that gap. Don't take my words for it. Take Luke's, Luke chapter 6, verse 31. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. That one stings a little, doesn't it? How's assuming working out for you? I know you're right every time, and I know you got a story, and I know all of that, but 
What if you decided to do for him or for her what you want for yourself? Look at 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5-7. through 7. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with generous provision of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. In every relationship. I believe that what you choose to do in this gap could be revolutionary for so many of us because it begins in our mind. And as it begins in our mind, what happens is, is it then comes out of our mouth and then it begins to come out of our behavior. And so how do we change our mind? How do we go about when their expectation isn't being met in that relationship? How in our mind can we believe the best? Let me give you three ways and then we'll get out of here. Number one, if you think something good, say it. If you think something good, say it. I'm going to challenge you. Everything, every single time you think something positive about your spouse or about that relationship, every single time, don't rob them of that blessing. Say it. Set it free. Spray it. Text it. Do whatever you got to do to get it out of your mouth. Say it to that person. Every single time you think something good, absolutely say it out loud. You want to challenge the dynamics of your relationships? Try this this week, okay? Instead of just saying, I love you. See, this is something my wife and I do every single day. Every single day, I'll leave the house, I'll give her a kiss, I'll say, I love you, and, and I'll walk out of the house. I started something this week, and I want to I encourage you or challenge you to try it this week. Just see, just see how it goes. I say, I love you, but I want to add a word. I love you because, and then fill in the blank. Try that this week. I love you because, I love you because I'd rather spend more time with you than with anyone else. I love you because you're incredibly faithful to me. I love you because you're way too good for me. I love you because I outkicked my coverage when I met you, right? I love you because you're the best mom to our kids. I love you because you think more about our kids and our family than you do about your career. I love you because, and then fill in the blanks and watch what happens. Just watch. Just see how much your marriage, how much that relationship is going to change. And maybe you're sitting here today going, well, but my relationship, whenever there's a gap, is between my boss. Don't, don't say I love you to your boss. You can't do that, okay? Try this. I like working for you because. I like working with you because. See how far the dynamics of your relationship will change because here's the hardest part about this. It's hard to assume the worst when you're thinking the best about them. Right? It's so true. Whenever you don't say something good by human nature, what do we do? We automatically assume the worst. So there's this running joke around here about me. I have a few staff who report to me. And the running joke around here about me is that when Ryan doesn't say anything to you, you're doing a good job. If Ryan comes to you and Ryan talks to you about your ministry, guess what? You better shape up. Some things need to change. And so if Ryan comes to you, you, you better uh, focus. But if Ryan doesn't come to you, great job. Keep up what you're doing. I hate that. I hate it for two reasons. I hate it, number one, because it's true. Just being honest. I hate it, secondly, because that's, that's the culture that I've created. And so this year, what I've done this year, coming into to this year specifically, I said, I'm tired of hearing that about myself. Because it's obviously true because I've heard it over and over and over again. And so when my staff thinks the negative because I'm not coming to them, I need to be positive. And so my word this year is encouragement. That I want to encourage and encourage and encourage and encourage. See, every single time that you encourage someone else or every single time you say something good about them, it's a whole lot easier to believe the best than it is to assume the worst. 
So when you think of something, say it. Don't rob that person of what you're thinking. Number two, if you think something special, do it. Think something special, do it. If you think about going and doing something with your spouse, let's just talk spouse for a second. And you you, kind of have this harebrained idea of, you know what, we need to go and we need to do this. We need to invest this way. We need to go and do this together. Whatever it is, do it. Don't just think it, actually do it. In fact, this past weekend, you know, we had uh, Valentine's Day on Wednesday. I was here with a bunch of smelly junior hires, and so I didn't get to have Valentine's Day. And so this Friday night, I looked at my wife, I said, we're having a date tonight. And our dates consist of, because the agencies of our kids, our dates consist of me getting in the car, driving downtown, going and picking up our our sushi order from sushi.com, coming home, and we sat on the couch and we watched the movie Big. That's what we did. It's awesome. So it was a great time to just sit and, you know, talk and reminisce about our, our history together and to date each other. Dan talked about this last week so, so, so greatly. He talked about the fact that him and Carolina have a weekly date built into their schedule. If you think of something, do it. Invest in your relationship. And the moment that your eyes begin to start wandering, the moment you think the grass is greener somewhere else, guess what, guys? It's time to water your own lawn. Invest in your relationship. Number three, if you want something different, be it. If you want something different, be it. It's one thing for you to sit here today and go, man, I wish that so-and-so was here today. I wish that that spouse came today. Of all the days they didn't want to get out of bed, I wish they would have come to hear how much they're screwing up. If you want something different, be it. Be it. If you want to fill this gap between expectation and reality, begin to be it in your own relationship where you believe the best about that person, where you believe the best about that boss, where you believe the best about that sibling, where you believe the best about that love relationship, whatever it might be, be it. See, I would be foolish to just end right there. I'd be foolish to just say, hey, this is just a marriage talk today and because it's a marriage talk, now go out and and be it. Let me connect the dots for you for a second. Because what Paul's doing in 1 Corinthians, he's talking about love and he's talking about your love for others. But more than that, in a grand scheme of things, if you look at the qualities of love, what you'll find is that the qualities of love are Jesus. As you read through 1 Corinthians, you'll find that everything he talks about love is patient. It's patient with you. Love is kind. He lends strength to you. You read through each one of those qualities and what you'll find is that all of those point back to Jesus. It's because here's the truth. God had this expectation for his followers. God had this expectation for his followers that his followers would live a sinless life. But we know that that's not true because we're human beings and we make faults. In fact, Romans talks about how we've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. And so God had this expectation for us to live sinless lives. But the reality is, we couldn't do anything about it. We couldn't do a single thing about it. The reality is, we are sinful, broken people. And God could have done one of two things. God very easily could have assumed the worst about us and said, you know what, forget them. They're not my people. Wipe them off the face of the earth. But you know what he did? He believed the best about us. He didn't just believe it though. It didn't just start in his mind. No, it came through his action. It came through his action where he sent his son. He didn't just say it. He did something about it. He sent his son to live and die on the cross for your sin and for mine. 
See, it might not be this time where we get to talk today about love, where you think about your spouse relationship or that work relationship. Today might be a day instead where you think about your relationship with God and say, God, I haven't met your expectation because the reality is I'm broken. The reality is I can't do life this way any longer. And so God, I'm coming into a relationship with you. God, believe the best enough about you to send his son to die for you. And so today, maybe you just need to respond to that. We've got the cross right over here. If you're in the satellite room, Dan is in there or Tyler's in there, they'd love to talk with you as well. But today is a day where you can come into a right relationship with God because he believes the best about you. Yes, even you. So let's pray and then we'll have a time of decision. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for this time that we have right here, right now to come into a relationship with you. And so God, today as we come into a relationship with you, our hope is that we would follow you for who you are. That God, we would understand, yes, that our expectations, your expectations for us weren't, weren't all matched up. But that God, the reality is, is that you loved us enough to die for us. God, we love you and we thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen.